to Gospel in the City. It is great to see you. Uh, my name is Sam, if, you, uh, if we've not had a chat before. Um, and you're really welcome to uh, our lunchtime meeting today. It's great to be able to take time like this out of the middle of our working weeks to come together. Um, most of us are Christians. Uh, all of us, I guess, are interested in, in understanding God at some level. Great to get together to be able to do that um, in a kind of warm, relaxed environment. Do keep helping yourselves to tea and coffee, or there's, there's two trays of sandwiches this week, so lots to go around, so do, do help yourselves. Um, and of course, it's great to gather like this so that we can go back to our offices to, to live out uh, something of what we've been hearing. So we're, we're really hoping and praying that today will help equip you to live uh, in light of what we've been hearing uh, from today. So we hope it will be a useful time. Um, we're coming to the end of 2 Peter today, and we've got quite a long uh, passage. You're quite all right. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> um, we have quite a long passage today. We're, we're finishing up 1 Peter today. Would anybody appreciate a large print copy of the, of the text? It's 1 Peter 4, 12 to, to, down to the end of chapter 5. Now, some of you can get it on your phones, but there's no shame at all in having a large print. Uh, large print one. Anybody else for a large print? Just because it will be useful for you to be able to see it. Yes, there we go, there we go. Asking for a friend, of course. Um, okay, great. If you, uh, otherwise, you should have the, the, the normal size font or the very tiny print there on your tables. So um, why don't I read that and um, pray, and then we will be having a look at the end of 1 Peter. So Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not uh, obey the gospel of God be? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, 
knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. Well, we could almost stop there, I think. It's a wonderful passage. Um, But let's pray for God's help as we try and uh, unpack it a bit together. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together this lunchtime. We thank you for the food and the drink that you've provided for us. Thank you for all your good gifts. Thank you for our jobs. Thank you for our families. And our Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that as we read it together uh, this lunchtime, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that we might hear from our chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus himself, and that he might shepherd us into into the ways of life that you want us to live in. And we ask this for your glory, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've reached the uh, end of our whistle-stop tour through 1 Peter. Um, We've taken about five weeks to go through this, uh, this lovely letter. It's a letter written to Christians who are suffering, Now, it's important, though, to to realize that they're not being thrown to the lions. Uh, Instead, they are being insulted for the name of Christ. Did you see that there in uh, chapter 4, verse 14? They're they're facing social exclusion. They're being marginalized. They're being insulted. And Peter says to these Christians, expect that, because you are strangers in the world. That is who we are as Christians. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. And so we've called this series How to Be Strange because Peter actually encourages Christians to live as strangers in the world. We saw in the first week that we have a strange hope. Our home is, is with God for all eternity. And so this work, that, that, that hope kind of makes us strange. It makes us different as we go through this life. We'll live different but strangely beautiful lives. And we saw then uh, in week three Uh, that those lives will be uh, marked by being strangely resilient. Because we believe that Jesus is Lord, we're actually sort of freed up to to be able to love people even when they are harming us, protected by Christ the Lord. And we'll live strangely focused lives. Just as Christ died and lives forever for the will of God, well, so too we as Christians can consider ourselves dead and now alive forevermore to always live to God's glory. We're strangely focused. Well, that's what we've seen so far in 1 Peter. And today, Peter kind of summarizes all that together in really just one verse at the end of our passage. So have a look at chapter 5, verse 12. Peter says, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Well, we're going to unpack that this afternoon and look at that that phrase and try and understand what Peter means by the true grace of God and what it means to stand firm in it. 
So firstly then, what is the true grace of God? It's interesting phrasing that, isn't it? It sort of suggests that not everybody is going to appreciate what the, the grace of God really is. Peter needs to emphasize, no, this, this is the true grace of God. So have a look at chapter 4, verse 12, and I think we'll get a sense of why he's having to stress that. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So I think Peter's worried that these Christians won't recognize the true grace of God. They're experiencing a fiery trial. They're being insulted for the name of Christ. They're being marginalized because they're Christians. And they're surprised about that. They think it's strange that Christians would have to suffer in this way. And so Peter says, verse 13, he says, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So Peter's saying, when you're insulted for the name of Christ, that's actually a sign that you're experiencing God's blessing. Now, it doesn't feel like that, but Peter's saying that is the true grace of God. Sharing in Christ's sufferings before then sharing in his glory. That's always going to be the path to God's blessing, sharing in Christ's sufferings, sharing in his glory. That's the true grace of God. And so if you are insulted for being a Christian, if you're marginalized uh, for, uh, because you're, you're a Christian, that is actually a really good sign that you are experiencing God's blessing. It means that the spirit of glory is resting on you. The same spirit who, who filled Jesus' soul, his human soul, that same Holy Spirit fills you. He's shaping you to share in the same realities uh, that Christ experienced. It means that you are strangely blessed. Well, over the past few years, uh, we've seen a number of quite public examples of Christians who have been persecuted for holding to Christ's teaching. So we can think of the Ashes family, Tim Farron, more recently Israel Folau and Billy Villapola. And we might also think about this time last year of the, the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, my, my church. Um, now, there's a couple of things that might make us kind of miss the, miss the big point here. The first issue is, that might make us miss the point is that all those things that I've mentioned there all concern the issue of human sexuality. And we might not think that's a very central issue. And we might think we'd prefer to be talking about being persecuted for actually, you know, talking about Jesus but the reality is that this is where the, the, the discussion and the debate is, isn't it, at the minute in our society? Not even just among Christians, among people just generally in society. It's, a, it's an area of, of, of discussion and intense debate. And um, as Christians, we're going to have to hold firmly to what Jesus says about that, even if it comes with a cost. And we might also look at each of those individual examples and think, oh, I'm not quite sure about the way they did that there. I'm not quite sure about that, uh, and so on. But as you take that list together, Ashes, Tim Farron, Israel Folau, Billy Vidipola, PCI, you'd have to say overall there's a pretty clear sign, I think, that they were holding to Christ's teaching and they were insulted and reviled and mocked because of the stances they took. Um, Vinny Vidipola is an England rugby player. Uh, who posted a, a thing saying that he supported the Bible's view of marriage. And it's very helpful to see just how clearly England rugby responded to that. They said, uh, we do not support these views. So nothing about the tone, 
they don't support the views themselves. They're not allowed to be publicly expressed. And Billy Villapola was, uh, was disciplined for expressing those views publicly. Okay, so those are the two things that, that hopefully, once we've got those out of the way, we can see the main point. The, the point I really want us to see today is Peter would say, when those people were being insulted and, and maligned for holding to Christ's teaching, Peter would say they were being blessed. Tim Farron, as he's being dragged through the media, was being strangely blessed. We could see that the, the spirit of glory was actually resting on Tim Farron when he resigned because he wasn't willing to, to kind of dodge the truth. The spirit of glory resting on Binny Vinopola when he received a formal warning from uh, his rugby club. We're blessed if we have the public criticism, the court processes, the disciplinary procedures, even the lost job. If we take those things because we're holding fast to Christ, then that is a sign that the spirit of glory is resting on us. Now, of course, we don't want a court controversy. Verse 15, Peter says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler, interfering unnecessarily in people's affairs. Yet, he says, verse 16, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Uh, I have a friend uh, who uh, was a teacher who, who came to our house one night in tears because she was under a disciplinary procedure at, at school. And now, it wasn't specifically because she was kind of being a Christian or talking about Jesus that this was happening, but she was quite clear that it, it wasn't because of anything that she'd done wrong. She was doing good, as she saw it, and was being subjected to this disciplinary procedure, which was very stressful for her. And um, I remember that night, the pastor read to her from this letter from 1 Peter, reminding her of what she already knew, that this is how God's grace comes to us. It comes as we share in Christ's suffering in order to share in his glory. She knew that already, but it was hard to believe it when it was so painful that this really was the true grace of God. But Peter wants us to think of suffering as a test. Do you see that there in verse 12? And so I enjoyed chemistry at school, so I kind of think of a litmus test. You know, you put the piece of paper into the acid and out it comes with the, with the different colour because it's been in the acid. And when we suffer in the name, uh, sorry, when we suffer in the acid of being excluded or being insulted for the name of Christ, or even just for doing good, that's when our true colours will show. And that's when we show that we are, in fact, strangely blessed. Um, Glenn Scrivener, kind of well-known evangelist, um, I remember when he came to speak to us here in Gospel, Gospel in the City, I was sort of pressing him, saying, give us your top tips for how to kind of share the Gospel in the workplace. And I don't know if any of you were here that day, but he basically said, um, think about a hard time in your life when you've been really struggling and suffering, and think about how you got through that, and think about how Christ helped you to get through that. And then he said, basically, be ready to, to share that. When somebody asked, you know, how did you get through, you'll be able to say, well, Christ helped me. I think that's so helpful, isn't it? That's going to be almost the most powerful witness we can offer, I think, in our workplaces. Lots of people are trying to conform. Lots of people are trying to perform. Lots of people are trying to be nice and fit in with the various policies. And we will want to do that too. But when the pressure comes, that's when our true colours will show. That's when we'll show that the spirit of glory 
is resting on us. But clearly, of course, it would be tempting to avoid all this, wouldn't it? And to think that there's another path to God's blessing. Uh, But Peter says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So second point, stand firm in this true grace of God. And that doesn't mean circle the wagons, huddle together, avoid going out at night, only get a job in a kind of a Christian firm or something like that. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 19. Peter says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So Peter's saying we want to keep proactively doing good, even as we're being insulted and being marginalized for Christians, uh, for being Christians. Um, I think in context, what does what uh, doing good mean? I think it means speaking about God publicly as part of our worship to God. Peter says, uh, we want to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And it means keep living those attractive lives. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We want to keep doing good to God's glory. And Peter gives us an illustration of this in, uh, in, at the start of chapter 5. You see there he's talking about the, the elders in the church and the younger people uh, in verse 5. Now, obviously, he's talking about a church context here, but I think, we could, I think Peter would presumably say that whatever Christian leadership looks like in the church, that should be kind of what Christians do whenever they have leadership uh, responsibility outside the church too. So I think we can apply this to thinking about our, our roles in the workplace. And so Peter would say, uh, leaders, don't lead for shameful gain, verse 3. Don't domineer, um, but instead lead with Christ-like love, like the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And when he appears, then you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. And then Peter says to the younger people, verse 5, be subject to the elders. Do what you're told. Don't just weasel your way to the top, but respect those genuinely with experience and responsibility and get on with your job. So there you go. That's Peter saying, stand firm, keep doing good, even when you are insulted for the name of Christ. That is the true grace of God. That's tough, isn't it? It's tough to think about that. Tough to think that whatever our our rest of our careers are in the workplace, Peter's saying to us, this is the true grace of God. Keep expecting to be marginalized and uh, ostracized as a Christian. That's going to be the true grace of God. Keep doing good, even in the thick of all of that. And so we need to ask, I think, how can we do that? How can we stand firm in the true grace of God? And Peter, I think, here in the rest of this passage has got four things that will help us to stand firm in the true grace of God. And we're going to just briefly uh, notice them. So they're there on your handouts to to just guide us. So firstly, Peter says, we're going to need to clothe ourselves with humility. So have a look at the second half of verse 5. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time 
he may exalt you. We talk, sometimes we talk about um, being humble quite lightly today, don't we? So people say, oh, I was really humbled by this. Um, but I think you'd probably have to look back on Tim Farron's experience a few years ago and have to say he was humbled, kind of quite publicly humbled, wasn't he? Humiliated, really, as he was wrestling with holding on to uh, the Bible's teaching. Uh, if we're going to do good uh, while being insulted for Christ, we're going to have to be ready to eat a lot of humble pie. And that is not going to be pleasant. And so we're going to have to think less of ourselves. Uh, we're going to have to think less of our ambitions, I think. We're going to have to recognize that it's God's mighty hand that is the really important thing in the world. That's the true influence. That's where the true promotion is going to come. We're going to have to be ready to humble ourselves and trust that God will promote us in due time. Uh, secondly, we're going to need to cast our anxieties on God. Verse 7. Why? Because he cares for you. The suffering that we're going through does not mean that God doesn't care. He does. So talk to him about it, Peter would say. Cast your cares on the Lord. God is up for hearing about you talk about your struggles at work, even if nobody else is. So cast your anxieties on the Lord. And then thirdly, resist the devil. Uh, so have a look at verse 8. Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, we probably don't think of this one, right? If we're thinking about what does it mean to stand firm, in the true grace of God these days, we're probably not worried about the devil. Um, and perhaps we should be, because Peter says he is prowling round. He's got a limited power now, but he is certainly seeking to devour Christians. And so perhaps he might drop into your workplace this afternoon. Perhaps he might be looking to see who he can devour there uh, this afternoon. And so Peter says we need to be on the lookout. Be sober-minded. Watch out. This is a reality. The devil is prowling round. He wants to devour Christians by getting them to compromise their faith. And so we need to resist him then by standing firm in our faith. We need to keep trusting God, keep trusting uh, what we know, keep holding fast to uh, the truth that Jesus is Lord. But here's something that will help with that. Have a look at the second half of verse 9 again. Peter says, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, why does Peter add that in? Here's what, here's what I'm thinking. What, tell me what you think. Is Peter saying that compromise is most likely to happen when we think we're the odd ones out, when we think we're the only ones who are having to make these choices, and we kind of see everyone else kind of falling into line, and we think, oh, you know, I better fall in line too. And that's when we compromise, something that we'd never think we would. We kind of think, oh, well, everyone else is doing it, you know, all the other Christian teachers are, are teaching this, so I'm going to have to teach it too. Um, does it help then to remember that we're not alone, in fact, that a lot of people are facing the same challenges today? As we look around here this Wednesday lunchtime, we'll probably actually see lots of people who are facing the same issues of living as a Christian in the workplace today that we are. And it will do well, I think, for us to talk about that. Um, 
And obviously we'll have a few minutes later to, to do that. But I suppose that's one of the things we want to try and do here on a Wednesday lunchtime is encourage each other by reminding each other that we're not alone, that we are trying to live as faithful Christians in the workplace, and that can be challenging. And so thirdly, or fourthly, sorry, we also need to cling to God's promise. Verse 10. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. You see the contrast there between the little while of the suffering and the eternal glory of Christ. Suffering is horrible when you're in the midst of it. But in the context of eternity, it's like nothing. And the pathway is always going to be suffering with Christ in order to share in the glory of Christ. That is the true grace of God. So cling to God's promise. Stand firm in it. This is the true grace of God. I'm going to just read you for a couple of minutes um, a very... Oh, draft. Now I have to find it. Um, uh, this is a very old letter. People aren't sure when, it's, when it was written. Probably about 200 AD. Uh, it's called A Letter to Diognetus. And it was actually lost and rediscovered not that long ago. Um, and he's got this lo- lovely passage on the distinctiveness of Christians, okay, written about 200 AD. So I'll just read that to you that I th- hope will encourage you that the, kind of, the challenges we're facing today are the same kinds of challenges that were faced um, in, in 200 AD. So this, this uh, little Christian letter writes this. Christians are not distinguished from the rest of humanity by country, language or custom. For nowhere do they live in cities of their own, nor do they speak some unusual dialect, nor do they practice an eccentric way of life. This teaching of theirs has not been discovered by the thought and reflection of ingenious people, nor do they promote any human doctrine, as some do. But while they live in both Greek and barbarian cities, and as they follow the local customs in dress and food and other aspects of life, at the same time, they demonstrate the remarkable and admittedly unusual character of their own citizenship. And here's the kind of key bit. They live in their own countries, but only as non-residents. They participate in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. They marry like everyone else and have children, but they do not expose their offspring. Today we'd say they don't go in for abortion. They share their food, but not their wives. They are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They live on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws. Indeed, in their private lives, they transcend the laws. They love everyone, but by everyone they are persecuted. They are unknown, yet they are condemned. They are put to death, yet they are brought to life. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are in need of everything, yet they abound in everything. They are dishonored, yet they are glorified in their dishonor. They are slandered, yet they are vindicated. They are cursed, yet they bless. They are insulted, yet they offer respect. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. When they are punished, they rejoice as though brought to life. By the Jews, they are assaulted as foreigners. And by the Greeks, they are persecuted. Yet those who hate them are unable to give a reason for their hostility. Brothers and sisters, that is the true grace of God. Shall we stand firm in it? Well, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen.